Awesome. Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ari McGee, and I'm feeling terrific, everyone. I'm feeling terrific. And I'm really feeling terrific because I'm joined by Jim Heskett. Hello. And Pippa Warner. Hello. And Mr. Nick Dacker up there. Hello. What's, what's going on, party people? Sounds like you're the party kind of person. St. Patrick's Day. We're just yeah. about to do some shots. <laughs> Let's do it, man. <laughs> Maybe you can just like put it in the mail and send it to me, and then I'll FaceTime you when it gets here, and we can take it together. You know what I mean? I think that's probably think- what we should do. I don't know. So what's going on? You guys seen anything interesting? Watched anything interesting? No? We just started Vikings of Valhalla. Mm. Did you make it through the, the first... The first series of that? Not all the way through. We did pretty well. I don't know how many seasons there were, but we may have, might have been the last season or two that we didn't watch. Basically, when Ragnar died, we tried one more season. (laughs) Spoiler spoiler alert. Not going to watch it now. Well, I mean, you should know your history, folks. (laughs) 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 Turns out nobody from that show is still alive. (laughs) What you're saying is being a Viking is 100% fatal. That's what you're telling me. Right, it happened, right you know, on. I don't know, three thousand years ago or whatever. But they're Being all still human alive. Is 100 fatal. It is. They say oxygen. Oxygen's 100 percent fatal. Right, well, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. I think we should probably move up beyond the Vikings and get into the news. Oh wait, that's me. I was reading the news. <laughs> trying to prepare for the news i even thought i did like a grand gesture jim did you see my grand gesture mm-hmm. yeah thank you you did right. i was there's doing a, math i was on the article trying to figure out how long this would that's take that's right i was hoping like i was giving you a crescendo you know and you could <laughs> oh like it's been a while since i had a conductor Rallentando. okay a while. i always like fort sondo i think that was fort sondo yeah <laughs> so our first story is coming to us uh from written word media it's uh, by Clayton Noblet. I think he writes a lot of stuff for them. Clayton, you're pretty ubiquitous, man. Good for you. You're uh, you're on the grind. I like it, man. I like it. This is called How to Dictate a Book in 2022. Now, the written word media has, you know, some stuff. They say, what is book dictation? If you need to read that paragraph, this might not be the, the show for you today. What authors utilize dictation? Stuff like that. Pros and cons. So, Let's talk about this because I know at the very least, Nick Thacker has been toying with dictation before we ask him and let him talk. You other two folks, have you guys played with dictation at all with your books? I tried doing some dictation while I was nursing Mm -hmm. because it was easier than trying to like reach over the baby and type. And I recall it being okay, except I just didn't stick with it long enough to get over I didn't have software. I was just using the built-in stuff on the Mac. Okay, built-in stuff on the Mac. Mr. Jim, what about you? Yeah, I've dictated uh, a bunch. I don't do it much anymore now that I don't have a day job any longer. But when I had a day job, it was a great way to chew up that commute. You know, there'd be days when I would, like, get up and dictate while I was walking the dog. 
then I would dictate on the way to work, dictate on my lunchtime walk, and then dictate on the way home. And I could get three, four, five thousand words written without ever touching a keyboard, mm. which is awesome if you've got a commute. That being said, there's a lot I don't like about dictation. I feel like my voice isn't the same when I'm speaking it as opposed to writing it. Mm. But the main thing is it just requires so much editing. Mm. It requires a lot of editing to fix it. So I don't feel like it's faster for me. You know, if I have access to a keyboard, I'd rather do that. Mm. But if you're in a situation where you're spending a lot of time commuting or spending a lot of time, you know, like on the train or in the car or something like that, mm -hmm. it's a great way to get some words down. If you also use, you mentioned the editing, occasionally I will use uh, handwriting and then typing it in as an editing step because I know that I'm going to get so much changed and catch a lot of stuff as I do that. So if you're right. already looking at two steps, you might want to. Okay. So you're cleaning it up as you're transposing it from. Yeah, the, exactly. The okay. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, Mr. Thacker. So the last time we talked about dictation, you had some like lofty claims that you like invented the exclamation point and like paper clips <laughs> and stuff. And like you were dictating like 50,000 words an hour. So how's that working out for you now? Yeah, it was the quest Cherubang was the particular <laughs> my apologies i knew it was one of those punctuations. <laughs> you'll be seeing it uh in a book near you no i so i don't dictate anymore like regularly the thing is there was a couple things that happened first of all dragon which is it's always been the best piece of software it's mentioned in this article stopped for whatever unknown reason updating and supporting their mac version it was just a big like screw you to the mac community there's talk that Apple was trying to get into it a little bit. Apple dictation just never worked as well and still doesn't work as well as Dragon did. When I was doing dictation, it was when I was driving around a lot, you know, and I would get in the car and I'd, I had a noise canceling microphone that most of the time worked. But, you know, if I dictated for two hours, I could probably come up with 10,000 words. So it was super fast. The problem was I still had to edit the crap out of those words. Mm. Um, like Jim was saying, it changed my voice a little bit, but it also didn't pick up everything correctly. And so I didn't just trust like a grammar catcher or something. I had to actually go line by line and rewrite a lot of stuff. And so it ended up being, you know, another two hours on the other side, which, you know, it still improved my word count, my word speed pretty drastically, but it was such a slog to like speak the words one time for two hours and then edit them again a whole other time for two more hours. It, was, it, just, it was like mentally very taxing. Right. Uh, one time, Jim and I hung out on the official annual one time that we did it, Nipple Mountain Writers Retreat. Mm. Uh, real name there. And we didn't name the mountain. Okay, that was named by somebody else. Mm. Some so, old pervert. We're that not retreat had gross. several names. Well, yeah, <laughs> we're not just being gross, everybody. It's a real place. And on the way, it was like a four or something hour drive. And so on the way there, I dictated like 30,000 words. Uh, it was great, but it took me like 10 hours of work to get through all that afterwards. And I'm like, well, I could have just written that. You know, here's the deal. It's because I was in a car. There's just too much road noise. I don't have a fancy, you know, luxury car that blocks out all the road noise. So if I'm sitting at my desk, like with this nice Yeti microphone and I'm dictating, I can burn through a bunch of words really quickly, but I actually really like typing. So I, I typically, if I'm sitting at my desk, I'm going to be typing, you know, Okay. Uh, that's kind of why I stopped doing it. But all that so, to say, I, I haven't seen these, some of these apps look pretty cool. I might have to check them out. So is the consensus that I'm getting is the amount of work afterwards is somewhat turning you off a little bit. If they made something that kind of learned your voice a little better, 
and you didn't have to say like open parentheses or close parentheses, would you guys be interested in going back? Or is it just like, eh, if it's convenient, I'll do it. If not, I'm sticking with my, my manos, 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 manio, mono, whatever. My Spanish. Yeah, I think, oh, go ahead. Sorry. If it was, if I was in a situation where I was going to have to commute again, because I was, as Nick was talking, I remembered the last time I tried dictation was when I was driving down to see Nick and I dictated in my little recorder for an hour and then the recording lost it. And I haven't touched occasion since I lost, you know, like <laughs> 4,000 words. I, I yeah. feel like that story should have gone at the beginning. It adds a lot of context. I, for, I completely <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah. Those were also the best 4,000 words Jim has Probably. ever written. They were amazing. <laughs> they, were, yeah. they were really good words. Oh, man. <laughs> also, like, I would love to dictate while going out and walking around in nature, but I also don't want yeah. to be like the crazy person in our town who wanders around talking. Well, that's that you need to go find nature. You, know, you can't just say I would dictate nature and then be like, you know, in Barnes and Noble walking around. <laughs> well, no, but like there's a whole bunch of walks around lakes and stuff like that. And yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine up here in monument, Kevin Anderson is uh that's kind of quite a name drop for you folks. I know. Good God, man. He, but that's exactly what he does every day. He goes out. I mean, his, his process, he got a whole book about it on being a dictator. I think is what it's called. I love his model. I just, I'm not in the rhythm of being able to do that. Like with the kids and stuff at the house. Or even, you know, taking him to school and all that. But I think we can get to that point. But he goes out and takes note cards, I think. He outlines very specific outlines. So he's not just, you know, guessing, talking into his phone or whatever. And then he just goes on a hike and does two chapters. And when two chapters is done, he's done with his hike. Wow. Very good. Very good. Well, sometimes you'll see him, like, he'll post a picture. He's on, like, top of Everest. I'm like, oh, those two chapters took a long time today. Go All on. right, good times. Dictation, there's good and bad with it, but hey, give it a shot. I think maybe you can make it work for yourself. All right, so our next story is coming to us from Ann R. Allen's blog. And, you know, guys, I've been thinking, you know, we we spend so much time on the indie stuff. You know, I feel like there's a segment of our listenership that really wants to submit to a traditional agent. And so... I want them to do that, and I want them to do as poorly as possible so they will indie publish and stop doing ridiculous things with traditional. So in the vein of that, the title of this is Crave Rejection, 7 Never Fail, 100% Guaranteed Tips for Raising Your R Score. So if you want to be rejected harder, you should take all of this advice, okay? Don't just go to a bar no, no, that's normal okay. rejection. That's normal. Uh, how, you, how you doing? That we all we well us normal men get that solid <laughs> rejection. Excuse this, you, I can get rejected just as hard as the rest of you. <laughs> I, you know, I, hate to I be am a, also a loser. <laughs> I hate to be a misogynist, but have you seen this face? No, this is getting rejected solidly. They're like, I know this is an aside, but I love the Louis C.K. bit about how he's like, I just got a divorce. And he's like, I didn't maintain this. I didn't keep this up. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do at a bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So the first thing that they say to ensure that you'll get rejected harder is to embrace the jackalope, right? They're saying that listen to the experts who don't know anything about your book or your genre and take their advice to heart. Mm. And, you know, you want to listen to the James Bond fan who wants more action in your sweet romance. 
about disabled teenagers looking for love. That will be good, and that will play well with your editors. Okay, so what do you guys think? Action. <laughs> How dare you, sir? Um, what do you guys think? Is there anything that you think you should pass along from this list to ensure that our listeners could get rejected harder? I, I don't think we really need to help with that. Traditional publishing is kind of a clusterfuck. Yeah, like, I know, but everything you know is going to work out on its own there. You know what? There are some people out there who have a chance. Okay, let's show them how to close the door on themselves. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this article is obviously ironic because the R score is this thing in traditional publishing. This idea that you have to get a certain number of no's before you can get to a yes. So the idea is your R score is the number of times you've been rejected. And so every time you're rejected, it's just getting you closer to a yes, which is this very optimistic, (laughs) this, yeah, super optimistic way of looking at rejection. Because, you know, if you're seeking the traditional publishing path, you're going to be rejected every single time, except maybe once. Yes. And. Okay. So let's see. So number two here, right? They're saying that this is a good way to ensure you get rejected super hard. Write the best horror, thriller, mystery novel that's ever created. All of those mashed up and then send it to the agent who reps like historical fiction. That's cheating. (laughs) (laughs) Are you even trying? Are you you even trying? Like, no, you if you really want to get better at getting rejected, you need to get rejected by the correct genre of agent. Mm, I don't think it counts. That's you got a point, Peppa. That's not even, you're not playing the game fair, you know? Mm. So in any event, this is all tongue in cheek, whatever. If you like this stuff, go for it. Good luck with your, with your submissions, but maybe read this and don't do these things that they're talking about because it will end poorly for you. Nick, is there anything? Oh, I'm sorry, Pippa, go ahead. Well, I I do recommend there was a year that I actually did a hundred rejections challenge, Mm -hmm. which was for me, it was short story anthologies and stuff like that within the indie world. But the idea was that I needed to rack up a hundred rejections as quickly as I could. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, when you do that, you start getting out of your shell and applying to more and more Mm -hmm. stuff. And so it was kind of to say, you know, it's like speed dating. Yeah. Speed dating for editors, you know? <laughs> <laughs> too many M dashes, too many M dashes. But yeah. No, I don't have anything to add about this particular article. I think it's funny, uh, tongue in cheek. I like Anne. I just, I mean, just overall, like most people listening know how we feel in general about trying to get a, an agent or trying to get, you know, through the rejection pile. So I don't need to rehash like why we believe, you know, self-publishing or indie publishing is something that most more, more professional authors should try. I do think that most agents, most editors, most any, you know, traditional line of work, people are failed writers or, or wannabe writers. And they think that they need to uphold this idea that there are some gatekeepers for some magical, like brilliance, you know, and it's just not, it's just not true. I also want to point out that most people don't understand how statistics work. And so this idea that they need to just rush to get a hundred rejections is going to somehow like make it easier down the road. I mean, it will make it easier to accept rejection because that's how that works. It's called practice, but it will not, it, it, you're not changing anything about your book or your writing style. You're just rushing to get 100 rejections. Cause you think that's how statistics works. Like the hundred, hundred and first one is going to be in acceptance. 
And it reminds me of uh, in, back in B school where, you know, they, the, the quote everybody used was like, wow, well, you know, most small businesses fail within the first five years. And my first thought was, well, if I start a business right now and then just forget about it for the next five years, then I'll get past that and my Solid. business will be successful. Solid. You've already beaten the odds, right? man. Big brain, big brain time. <laughs> if I just send my manuscript to a hundred people and say, would you reject this for me? Um, Cause I really want the next one to be the acceptance. Like that's not how that fucking works. You know, I, I know that's kind of a little tongue in cheek because most people don't actually believe that, but come on guys. Like if you're listening I to this think- thing and you need to, re- you know, get rejections, publish your book, yeah. just self-publish it. Oh my God. Yeah. You don't need to. And I think, Nick is right that people actually do start to fall into this trap of like, no, it's the rejection that's important. Right, no, right. what's important is you iterating on the process. Right. <laughs> is, exactly. is, is trying, you know, trying yeah. things. Well, in any event, this is like, like we said, a little tongue in cheek thing, but maybe don't do these things and give yourself <laughs> a, a fractional chance of doing better. So who knows? All right. So our third story here, this is a weird, like kind of like romantic nostalgic kind of thing it's from uh, garden and gun and it's uh, titled it's by michael ferris smith and it's titled inside larry brown's writing shack all right so i don't know if you guys are familiar with larry brown he is he's kind of a contemporary of cormac mccarthy right so like the same kind of like guy in the same kind of time frame he wrote like i would call it he wasn't exactly Southern Gothic, but I would call it Southern Gothic. Like he had some Flannery O'Connor influences and, and stuff like that. So, you know, he was a well-respected writer. He died in the early 2000s. And what happened is this uh, author named Michael Ferris Smith uh, had heard stories about his cabin in Mississippi that Larry Brown wrote all his books at. And he went and he met the family and stuff like that. And they opened their doors to him and he could, he had free use of this cabin all the time. You know, I, I just think that's kind of cool. If, you know, I don't know who your guys' favorite author is, but it'd be like if Neil Gaiman said, Hey, you can use my freaking office whenever you want to. Don't worry about it. Um, I would ask what you guys think about this, but it's a little on the long side. So it's, it's <laughs> it, little- I like this article. I thought it was really well, well written. I think it's a good piece. Yeah. Thank you. It's like, you remember when Rolling Stone used to have like cool stuff in the middle of their book, like their long articles? Was that, nope. Was, no, back in the day, they used to have some interesting stuff. Remember when MTV used to play music videos? No, I, I don't imagine you would. Uh, <laughs> I don't imagine you would. It's hard for me to remember. I was barely out of diapers. But in any event, so I don't know if you guys get anything you want to add. If not, just say that this is in the show notes and it's a well Yeah, go article. read this. It's a good article. I would say the advice is go find a famous dead author and get in close with their son <laughs> so you can use their secret writing cabin and make it totally like accidental. Oh, hey, I just bumped in. Are you? What's his face, his son? Oh, sorry for your loss. Hey, here's some bourbon. Can I use the writing cabin? I, this, my goal after reading this article is to be the artist that someone goes on a pilgrimage one day and finds like my little shack in my backyard and wants to sit there and write down, write down their stuff. And, you know, he's kind of got this, like talks about how when he works there, he has like a little bit of clarity. He doesn't have some places could be because there's no heating could be because there's no air. I don't know, but I like it. I like the article. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. Okay. So let's move on. Okay. So I'm going to ask you guys this question, okay? And I need you guys 
I need you guys to not wimp out on me, okay? <laughs> okay, I need you guys to not wimp out on me. I need some names, okay? I want to know what's the worst book that you've ever read, and why was it the worst book that you ever read? Does it have to be finished? Do we have to read the whole thing? Or could it be I, you know, like a DR? I, I would like it to be something that you finished because I feel like I loathe those books more. Like the ones that I spur myself on to finish thinking it's going to get better and it just like rose red and it just mm. never, ever gets better and I waste my life. But I'll take it however you get it. So however you get it. So what do you guys think? Probably something that made me read back in school, back in grade school, like a separate oh, piece or something yeah. like that. Because <laughs> I don't finish oh, books I don't like piece. anymore. That's yeah. so that's so generic though. You started it. You started with probably. All right, uh, <laughs> Heart of Darkness, on. Joseph Conrad. Okay, you didn't like that. What was it about? What about it was it that? What was it about Heart of Darkness that you didn't enjoy? I was boring. I was a kid. They forced me to read it. I, I mean, I'm sure I could enjoy it now for what it was meant to be, which is not, you know, an action story, <laughs> but, but I'm an adult now. And now I've got a bad taste in my mouth of all literature. You know, I would go into it eyes wide open, but I also would kind of be like, you know what? I hated this the first time. Super boring. I don't know. Okay. All right. How about you, Pippa? How about you, Pippa? Are there are two that come to mind. One is I'm, try to find the title but it's okay. about this are, are we allowed to give spoilers here Ooh, please please because all of this is about spoilers it's i don't think anyone's gonna be like you know what i want to read that now she's ever read <laughs> well one of them is critically very well reviewed so this one the first one was about this headmaster at a prep school in on the east oh, coast matilda at Rodol. <laughs> and he's having an affair with one of the students and then it comes out later in the book that the student he was having an affair with never existed. And it was just this psychosis thing after his son was killed in action in Iraq. And it's like, that's not how that works. And also like he's talking to her in classes and no one ever brought it up. And like, it's all weird. But the other one was Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer, which actually got very well reviewed. I agree. I agree. Was it wasn't like, the one I was going to pick, but I agree so hard with you. Right so now. like it, for anyone who's reading it, you're going through and I'm not usually a horror person. But this was like it was insanely good. Creepy. There was so much going on. You're like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And like they're just like hair raising every fight or flight instinct activated and then just nothing. Did they make a movie out of this? <laughs> yes, they did. Okay. I tried and to read I, it I after I watched the movie. So yeah, I watched the movie and I was like, oh, that wasn't bad. You know, Natalie Portman's got a machine gun. There's a bunch of cool, it's like this like team of like five women who go in and they're killing all this stuff. And I'm like, good for them, man. Girl power. Let's do this. And I was then I tried to that the girl from Jane the Virgin was in a horror movie. Yes. Like, yes. This is interesting. It was all cool, yeah. man. And then, I never read the book. I've heard that it's better than the movie. Because everybody says that, so I don't know if that's actually true or not. But Apparently, I actually thought the some movie... of that stuff comes back around in book two. But yeah, well, he wrote three like, of them. I think it's like a trilogy. Yeah, it was just this sort of the creepiest part of the book completely fell apart, and then mm -hmm. and the way that it seems to have been resolved doesn't actually 
make yeah. me feel better about. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought, yeah, so I thought it was it was really pretty the way the movie was made. Like, it just mm-hmm. looked cool. So it was an exceptional movie from a cinema, the cinematography perspective. And the story was okay. I thought I was just getting into a sci-fi movie. I watched it alone at night, and I was scared because it's a freaking horror movie. Nobody freaking told me, and I hate horror movies. There were some pretty awesome jump scares in there. And then the most terrifying thing that I've seen in a movie was the, and this is a spoiler, but like at the end, there's like, you know, this alien thing that whatever comes down, like takes over the animals there and like morphs them into something different. And one of them is like this bear that eats one of the the ladies. And then it screams using the the person's voice that they, (laughs) so it's this freaking horrifying bear that's like chasing him down and it's going, ah, the whole time it it was terrifying man it was terrifying oh for me the the scariest part was the the fact that the psychologist was clearly like ready to pull the plug on them and they all had this like you knew for a while that they could just die if she said the right word and she was like she could shut everything down and that was like super freaky to me yeah yeah it was uh, weird. I'm glad you brought that up, Pippa. Damn, I'm glad you brought that up. That one. And then at the end where like the creature looks like them and they're trying to like get out of the lighthouse. It was all weird. It was all weird. It was all very odd. It's like I could I mean, if someone wants to pay me millions of dollars to write a book full of red herrings, I can do that. Mm. I just thought we weren't <laughs> supposed to. <laughs> I do find it interesting that a lot of these the, a lot of the books I'm thinking of, like, I don't think anybody would argue that Heart of Darkness is the worst book ever. It's just it, it did not meet my expectation and that's not the book's fault that's my fault like you know what i mean so i think that's an important takeaway is like there's this category of books called like hey this is just pure shit because it's not edited well and there's typos everywhere and so it's objectively bad we're talking about yeah that are like books that are are otherwise good objectively and and, that didn't live up to yeah we just expected something different when i read airframe by michael crichton i was a kid and I was like, this is going to be crazy. It's going to be about an air, airplane crash. Well, the airplane crash happens on page one. And then the mm. rest of it's this like long, boring legal slog, you know, mm. which is really, it's really good if that's what you want. And I just want more action. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is, it. it's kind of the feeling I had when we got to whatever season of Game of Thrones where Lady Stoneheart did not show up. And it was like, okay, so none of this matters. Like just seeing how much didn't matter of the very intricate plot and how much was red herrings. It's just like, yeah, I'm kind of out. Yeah. I I came back to watch get some revenge and then. Yeah. They took out the whole zombie camel and stuff. I was down with that. Well, good. Well, good. I'm glad you guys mentioned those. That's good stuff. That makes it for me. It was Anita Blake. I think it was Harlequin, right? So it's written by Laurel Hamilton. And like Nick said, Laurel K. Hamilton is not a bad author. Laurel K. Hamilton is an amazing author, right? The first couple of Anita Blake, like Vampire Hunter books were like action and like they were kind of copy and stuff like that. And I had like seen some comic books about them and read the first book. And I was like, I'm into this, man. This is cool. Like Anita Blake is killing everybody. This is amazing, right? And then I missed a bunch of books. And I picked one up towards the middle or end, and it was like literally (laughs) wear leopard orgies on like every page. It's like every time she needed to get information, it's like what she did was 
after the first four or five books, she met enough readers of hers who said, we just like all the sexy time stuff. And she leaned into that hard. Oh, she She did. She leaned into it hard. I can't remember if it was like a slow, like frog and boiling water thing where you just didn't quite notice. I don't know. Or not. But or if it was, I jumped thing. all the way to the end, and it was like we need to go get information about this master vampire. I know. Let's just have sex with the whole club, and she would, and she would be getting this information psychically, and like she had at least nine orgies in that book. And by the time I was done, I was like, "Is this the same book? Is this? What did I pick up, dude?" Which, like Nick said, is my fault because I had a different expectation. It's not well, Laurel Hamilton's fault. It's know? a little Laurel Hamilton's fault because it doesn't <laughs> jive with the other book that you read of her. It's like it's not. Yeah, she had series. set the expectation that this is what I'm going to write, and right. that totally same out. author, same yeah. series. I guess like, oh. it, it went from like it went from like Anita Blake was Blade to like Anita Blake was like Fifty Shades of Grey, and like I just couldn't. I couldn't marry the concept in my head. I finished the book. I walked into my kitchen and I threw it into the trash can. I didn't even keep it. <laughs> my wife was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, this one's gone. <laughs> oh, I just thought of another book, Mists of Avalon. I hated that book. Never read it. I hated that book. And I it. was not surprised. So it's Marion Zimmer Bradley. Okay. And yeah, it's about King Arthur and all of that. And it's just like, it's a miserable book book and like we're supposed to there's this one scene where a character who's a druid priestess finally gets together with this guy she's wanted forever and he's like how do i please you and she gets super angry because like it's not about pleasure it's about sacred reverence it's like and we're clearly supposed to empathize with her about yeah. this like I, I i can't yeah no one's like i don't uh, care about the reverence here and then also Marion Zimmer Bradley was a trash human being. Oh. Help, well, helped her husband abuse a whole bunch of kids. Oh, that level of trash human being. Oh, so I just threw all of my Marion Zimmer Bradley books out as well. Well, good work like, on that. That's bad I, news. It was easier for me because I didn't like them. A lot of people really liked those books and so struggled with it hard. But Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you made the right choice ditching those, Pippa. I think you did. <laughs> Well, all right, guys. Looks like we are up to about a good time, so we will nix that last story. You guys got anything you want to add? Any anything, Jim? Did you come up with a book actually instead of just playing it safe? Instead of just playing of, it safe? Oh, sure. I thought of several options while everybody else was talking. Hit me Probably, with one. Uh, uh, Needful Things by Stephen King. Is that not good? Well, there was a period there where Stephen King was at the kind of the low part of his drinking, where all of his books had like great intros, then a long, boring middle section, and then a mm. really unfulfilling ending. Mm. Needful Things was one of those that like it was a great beginning. Mm. And then the ending just kind of just kind of shat the bed and mm. maybe <laughs> wish I hadn't read that whole 700 pages. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that because I'm on the list for Libby, the audiobook for Needful Things. It's like my fifth book down. I'm just gonna get rid of it, bro. I'll take your I'll take your word for it, man. There's other you know much better Stephen books. King books to read. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, guys. It looks like we're good. So for all of us at Author News Weekly, I'm Ari McGee saying this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody.